Hi, and welcome to Operation Adopted, where we explore the individualized nature of adoption. To do this, we have conversations with individuals who have been adopted, also known as adoptees. Whether good or bad, every adoptee has their own story to tell. Here on Operation Adopted, our goal is to provide a platform for those voices to be heard. Hi, and welcome back to Operation Adopted. Today, our guest is Emma. Can you tell us a little bit about your adoption story? Sure. Um, When I was nine months old, I was adopted from China. Uh, Both my parents came to China and got me from the orphanage and spent some time in China. I remember um, they make a video. They call it like a gotcha day video. Yes. And um, the whole entire family from like my mom and dad's side were there at the airport and my cousins were little and they had, you know, signs up. Um, And I love watching that video. I haven't seen it in a while, though. And then my parents had a very um, huge heart for adoption and foster care. When I was around eight years old, Mm. um, we brought home my sister from Ecuador. Um, Mm. And then when I was 12, I believe, my sister came home from Africa. And I think having adoptive siblings is a little bit hard just because there's age gaps in there and Mm. it can be hard to connect with them Mm. Um, but over the years I feel like we're working on it which is a good thing and so over the years I struggled with finding my identity I knew it was in the Lord but I had a hard Mm. time figuring it out for myself like who I was in him Mm. and I thought a lot but not like a ton about um, my birth mom And I would often, my mom wanted me to write letters to her and I would be like, "Eh, I I don't feel mad at her or anything. Mm -hmm. But then thinking about it more, I just felt like, did she abandon me? Did she reject me? And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of that rejection carries into my like 11 to 12 when I was 11 to 12 and trying to find who I was as a person. Um, And during that Mm -hmm. time, I was rejected a lot at the school I was attending. And during that time, my um, dad got diagnosed with brain cancer. So it was like Mm. this whole situation erupted and I was just like very confused why, you know, these two major things would happen at one time. Mm. And so going through that journey, trying to stay positive for my family, but also really struggling like inside with the rejection and identity issues I had. Mm. And it really did not come out. All these issues I had built like a mountain over time um, didn't come out until like four years ago or recently when Mm. I sat down with my mom and we really discussed like, wow, I really struggle, you know, Mm. with rejection. And I do talk a lot about the rejection of that feeling from my birth mom. The area we live in Doylestown is very white. So (laughs) it was really Mm -hmm. hard because you stick out like a sore thumb when you're all like, you know, different nationalities. Mm. And when I was there, um, a few of the girls were making fun of Asian people and the way Hmm. their eyes looked and the way they talked like that weird like thing. And, you know, I do that sometimes at home with my mom, but I'm, I'm Asian. So I feel like it's not as bad, but they, (laughs) but they, um, they did it and it hurt. And I came home. I'm like, mom, is that like a racial thing? Cause I've never experienced that before. And Hmm. she was like, yes, that is. And I felt really upset because 
here I was, like, in a room, and they knew I was adopted from China, and they made fun of me for it, and it, it like, really hurt deep. Mm-hmm. And a uh, funny thing is, too, when my mom, when I was really young and, like, just came home from China, this lady came up to my mom and was like, your daughter looks like you more and more every day. And my mom's thinking, well, she's adopted, so how can she look like you? <laughs> mm-hmm. And so progressing on the journey, um, I definitely still struggle with rejection and identity. Um, mm-hmm. When my dad passed, he was um, my biggest supporter. Mm-hmm. And so losing someone like that who loved you for who you were was really hard Hmm. but afterwards I just felt like I like really lost who I was and um, my mom is just a like an amazing person and I'm so blessed for her in my life because I don't think I could do life without her Hmm. Um, and she has been through like my depression because I really struggle with mental health from a lot of the roots of what I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she was there for me. And um, we went on this journey of different, many different things with medication stuff. And at the end, we just decided that the Lord had a plan and that we needed to do something different to change Mm -hmm. things. And we ended up doing it. And I meant it, it worked really well. And, um, I think that I just felt a lot of that pain and stuff from everything that I was going through and carried with me. Mm. And I was feeling very hopeless and just didn't want to be here because I was, I know people wanted me to be here, but I didn't feel like that. Mm. And so I really struggled with the life or death situation. And I, had to be um, hospitalized because I was, like, just so overwhelmed with everything. And Mm. that was a few years ago. But now that I'm starting to work on things a lot more, I've I've learned that through this journey, like, the Lord is through all of it. And I'm very grateful for the parents that I have Mm. and had because without them, I wouldn't be in the United States. And even though I wish I could, you know, meet my birth mom or find her one day, which might happen, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm here for a specific time. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful for you to be here and, you know, being able to share your story and being so vulnerable about it as well. So I really thank you for that. I am sorry about your dad passing away. And that's a very tough situation and he sounded like he was an incredible man that was able to help you through a lot of important moments in your life so far that you've had and it sounds like you have a wonderful support system in your parents yes. um, your mom and your dad um, which has definitely helped you through your life so far I'm sure with that, I know you were talking about to your your idea of your birth mom and not knowing who she is and you know potentially maybe one day finding her. So do you do you know any information about her at all? Because you mentioned um, the idea of 
writing letters to your mom? Was that to your birth mom from your mom telling your adopted mom to tell you to do that? Or was it something different? So it was more those letters she wanted to write if I had any feelings. If Mm. like I could send them to her, like wherever she was, Mm. what would I want to say to her? Oh, wow. And thinking about it, I was like, I don't really, you know. (laughs) about it I've never met her before but then thinking about more like recently with everything that's coming up and like really Mm -hmm. thinking about how adopt like being adopted there's a lot of things there Mm -hmm. um and I was like I would I meant the letter could be helpful even though I can't speak to her I could still you know write it out Mm -hmm. express your feelings in a way that is tangible so that you feel like you've expressed them. Exactly, yes. And then you can't talk to her physically in person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Even if you, I mean, you currently, even if you really wanted to, you can't really go there right now as the state of everything is. Yes. yeah. But some, have you ever been able to visit China or would you ever want to? I would love to visit China because <laughs> I... Um, they do orphanage tours where I was from. I think oh, wow. it was the Fooling Orphanage. Very cool. Um, and I would love to do an orphanage tour. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom and I watched a movie together called Found about these three Chinese girls yes. on Netflix yes. who <laughs> were cousins, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I meant I did 23 and Me just mm-hmm. to see if I had any siblings. And mm-hmm. I was really disappointed because I wanted, you know, a real, like, blood, like, blood family. Mm-hmm. Um, but... That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would love to go back to see where I came from and where they found me. I was found, I think, on the side of a road, like mm-hmm. a busy road where mm-hmm. someone would be able to find me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would just love to see the scene, scene, scenery, scene, <laughs> scenery, yeah. scenery there, <laughs> yeah. and um, just it like be there. I think would just be like just. Amazing, like amazing. Yeah, for me. yeah. It's a it's a part of your culture. It's a part of who you are, whether or not you grew up there or not. Uh-huh. You, so you mentioned in your story that there were people that told you that you look more and more like your mom. Yes, and you just kind of you kind of said to here like you would like to have somebody you know blood related to you. So how does that make you? feel when someone says you look a little bit more and more like your mom because we don't really look like them <laughs> if that makes sense I yes I I think that I always knew I was adopted like it mm-hmm. wasn't hidden from me which I'm mm-hmm. like grateful for because I think that would be a shock but I mean yeah. I would be like oh I look different than my parents but mm-hmm. um I think someone saying that is a little kind of upsetting in a way because mm. they don't see that you're different because obviously I look different mm. and I want to be different mm. too and I want to be like unique and embrace who I am as a person mm. so kind of being told that I look like my mom when we're like definitely do not look alike was a little <laughs> bit strange but I was mm. like a little child but hearing my mom say that to me was like okay <laughs> but mm-hmm. thinking about it it's it is a little strange like mm-hmm. sometimes Mm, yeah, well, we, you don't, we don't look like our parents in this situation, and it's understandable to be upset about that situation happening as well because it's not exactly something in which we are taught how to respond. 
Yes. And that's something, again, not any one person's fault. It's just common. It's human nature to want to say that to someone and then not knowing what to say. And they say the same thing they would say to anyone else. There's not much in response that we could say back. So it's really interesting when those type of situations happen. Yes. Um, you had mentioned something earlier, which I was really excited to hear, uh, about your gotcha day. And you called it gotcha day? Vid- your gotcha day video? Yes. Is that something that you guys ever celebrate? Yeah. So I July 28th. Hope I'm right off that. It's, <laughs> like, it's like a second birthday, but it's more like um, when my parents um, – got me for the first time. That's why mm-hmm. they called it Got You Day because yeah. they got you. And yeah. um, I think it's just a very special day to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the journey to, you know, getting me was a process. So mm-hmm. um, we celebrate every year. And my parents made a whole video of like seeing me in China for the first time as Aww. a baby with the um, nanny there. Mm-hmm. And like we also... My parents went with a travel group, so I had uh, China sisters, but they weren't like my biological siblings. But we met, mm. we met every year since I came home from China, except this year because of COVID. Mm. Um, Very neat. But that was a that's a great experience. Um, but the video we haven't been able to watch because it's hard for you know everyone to see my dad or mm. the people who are not there, my grandma, grandpa, my aunt there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't watch it because it's very emotional now. But mm. when we did watch it, it was just like I would cry because it was just so Aww. beautiful seeing, you know, <laughs> the whole story come together and, you know, our whole family being there. And I just, yeah, I just love it. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because I, I have not heard many people call it Gotcha Day. Um I do. I call it that. That's what my family has always called it. So I was really excited when you said that. I was like, oh, she does that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we call it and we celebrate it every year, the day they got me. So, yeah, the day they got us. They celebrate the day they got us. Um, And it is. I guess it is kind of like a second birthday. That's a good way to put it. I I (laughs) like that. That's how I'll explain it to people now from now on. (laughs) So you have... Probably have a couple of other gotcha days in your family then if your parents had a heart for adoption. Were you the first child adopted for them? Yes. Okay. I was, yeah, I was the first. And there's like a, a four or five year age gap between my other two siblings, which is hard. Oh, wow. Because um, it's not like one or two. So it was mm. very different for me at eight years old to be, mm. you know, for my parents to be discussing the possibility of adopting another child. Mm -hmm. And I did not like that at first, uh, (laughs) being the only child for such a long time. Mm. But I meant in the long run, I meant every adoption was a blessing. And Mm. the ability my parents had, like the heart they had to do that. Mm. Because a lot of people might be, you know, afraid to do it. Or it's a lot of work, honestly, especially foreign adoptions. But that they had the heart and the like the Lord's leading to do that mm-hmm. is just beautiful to watch, you know, their hearts like blossom for ch- children that are not their own. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. So you have two siblings that are adopted and they are a pretty decent age gap away from you. Yes. So 
does that make it easier or harder to have them be siblings? Because you have a connection with them in terms of being adopted. All of them are adopted and you're adopted. But that is quite an age gap to be able to kind of connect with them. So how was what was that like for you growing up? I think it was hard. There was a lot of timing issues, too, that came along with it, mm. uh, like my dad being sick yeah. um, and uh, the recurrence of cancer. So I think mm. it it wasn't like the easiest dynamic. Mm-hmm. I do think we get along well and, mm. you know, we love each other. But I think it is harder than having, you know, a biological sibling I just think that with time it'll grow because we never really, I don't think, got that time mm. just because of all the things that have happened. Mm-hmm. But I think it'll grow. Very cool. I like that. So, Emma, you had mentioned before a little bit in your story about your dad and, and passing away. And I, I'm i sorry that that happened to you so early in life. Um, I wanted to ask a little bit about how a supporter for you throughout your life, and it seems like he was a pretty big part in that and losing him like how that has affected you in your whole process of being adopted and just the process of life I mean that's a tough situation to go through and so how did that affect you I remember we were we were both foodies so he would take me to Panera and we would (laughs) sit down and we'd have journals and he'd be like what can I work on to be a better dad for you and I was like, Aww. wow, that's great because I don't think a lot of, you know, pa- you know, dads would say that to ask their kids that because that's, like, an important question. Um, he is definitely a huge part because I also don't know my, bi- like, my biological dad either. Mm-hmm. So having a dad is great. So when I lost him, it affected me majorly. And uh, he was such a big a supporter in my life like whatever mm-hmm. venture business thing I wanted to do he'd be like okay go for it mm-hmm. and um even though you know we were biologically related I like to say he passed down writing to me because he was always such mm-hmm. a great writer mm-hmm. um sometimes at um on Sundays at church he would preach sometimes when they you know wanted mm-hmm. him to come up and it was always great and people would always be like your dad's such a great preacher mm-hmm. um, but I really fell in love with poetry and writing after he passed to process all the grief that was inside because my mm. mom, who is, like, the most amazing person on the earth, was also <laughs> grieving at the same time. And, mm. you know, everything I was going through with the depression and anxiety and, like, yeah. thought processes that were going on in my mind. So I wrote down a lot of stuff that Mm. I feel like has helped me heal from many different situations Mm -hmm. and things that I'm still working on. Mm. Um, And even though I don't have, like, a dad on this earth, I know that I have a heavenly father, which Mm -hmm. gives me some peace. But, of course, I still miss, like, you know, (laughs) hugging my dad or snuggling with him like I Mm -hmm. used to. Yeah, Um, of course. But it definitely affected my life because I sometimes look around and I'm like, wow, like everyone else has, you know, a family. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to not want to be jealous about not having a dad because I really Mm. miss him. Yeah. I think that's natural. That that would be a natural human instinct to be a little jealous of people with a dad if you don't have yours anymore. And that's kind of how that 
works out and it makes a lot of sense. When, if you don't mind me asking, when, how long ago was it that your dad passed away? Um, he passed away um, uh, May 2018. Um, so okay. three years ago, almost going on four um, okay. next year. So that was even after, you know, the time when you were 11 or 12 and you had the feelings of rejection and, and you were being bullied. How was that? What was that like for you and during that life point in your life? Because that is 11 to 12, I guess it's 11 to 13, I guess and we want to say, is a very pertinent life time for girls. So yes. I want to see <laughs> how was that experience? What was that experience like for you? Because it's, and you know, how does that affected you to this day now? It is hard. <laughs> I'm going to be honest because it's mm-hmm. it is traumatic. Because even though it might not you know be as traumatic as some people think it is, it was because mm-hmm. I almost was, I was trying to find who I was as a person, so my yeah. identity. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I was being told what my identity should be. Like, mm. I should be more vulnerable. I should do this and that. Mm. And so I tried being this whole fake persona because I felt like no one would like who I was as a person, which was, like, shy, quiet, and but, like, lovable and kind. And, mm-hmm. like, you could talk to me and I wouldn't, like, judge you for anything. Mm-hmm. And... It took me, as I said before, years to realize, like, oh, my gosh, I went through a lot. Mm. And I guess when I was going through that stuff, I looked at it like one situation after another, not realizing, like, when I bundled it all together, how much it affected me. Yeah. And uh, my dad was a huge support in that area, and so was my mom Mm. and feeling understood because I always struggled with, you know, not only rejection or my identity, but feeling understood and listened to by others. Mm. So feeling understood and listened to by them Mm. made things a lot better because I'd come home crying and they would just talk to me and be just so uh, empathetic. Mm. And um, I knew I could trust them. And now I do have a little bit of trust issues with, you know, going into friendships because of Hmm. things that have happened, which I'm almost guarded in a sense, which I hope in a, you know, years to come that will heal and Hmm. I will be able to feel like I can be my normal self around people. But it is hard because I'm still like not sure if people are really being genuine with me or not just because Mm. of everything I've gone through. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. That's hard. It is. That's that's a lot to put on yourself, too. And not intentionally. I mean, that's just, again, how you feel. But I'm sorry that you had to go through that and had to feel that way. Not feeling listened to is definitely something that I think a lot of people go through in life, but they don't talk about it. They just kind of bottle up and they don't talk about it because they don't think anyone wants to listen to it or that they would help them. So I'm glad that you were sharing that with us. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Along with the listen to being listened to part, I'm curious to see, is your dad, you said you mentioned your dad wrote a journal of how I can be a better dad, which I 
I have to say, I think that's incredible. That is such a cool idea. And anybody who's a father listening to this and or wants to be, that's an amazing idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, that is really cool. Um, how did they have, did anyone ever ask you before what your adoption experience was like? Probably not. Oh, really? No. Really? No, never. Just my parents, but I've never, no one has asked me. Mm. No. I feel like they might have forgotten that I was adopted in some way because <laughs> I never get asked it. Or like mm-hmm. people are like, oh, you look, you know, so much like your mom. It's just, yeah, I just feel like sometimes people ignore it or just forget, I feel like, but mm. it's probably not true. <laughs> I think it's a way for people to try and make you feel a part of the family in sense of if they're family saying that. But I also think a lot of the times people just don't think about adoption typically throughout the day. Yes. So it's not something that they they think about, but like, oh, yeah, that's right. You're adopted. So how's that how's that like for you? Like, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to ask that question because it's a little weird. Yeah. Um, but that's why we're here, you know, to talk about it and ask you. So I'm excited. So I'm happy that you are able to be here and have that be asked of you because you don't get asked that question very often. Um, how did how did you feel about being asked the question of what what is your adoption like and sharing your story? How do you how does that make you feel? I'm just curious. I was surprised because I was thought to myself, "Wow, no one's actually asked me that question. Like, mm-hmm. how does you know adoption affect you?" Or because mm-hmm. um, I I always remember you know my parents being asked that question, like, "How's the yeah. adoption journey for you? Mm-hmm. Like, was it hard?" Which I get because they were, you know, they were the ones adopting me. But I also think as, like, an adopted child, you don't get that, like, point of view. No. Interesting to get our point of view of it. Typically, you just ask the parents, well, what was it like? You know, what was it like to adopt a child? What was it like to do this or that? And it's like, oh, it was a long, hard process is normally what it comes out to be and stems out to be for an adoptive parent. But for an adoptee... We don't get asked the question, so I feel like we don't know how to respond to it. Yes, yes. <laughs> because it's a it's opening a can of worms, <laughs> and there's there's so many different avenues that you can go in with it, and yes, it's very interesting as a whole. You had talked a little bit about being the school and, and being picked on and, and bullied and, and things like that, and you had mentioned in your story that um, while you were having those issues of being bullied and feeling a certain way that you felt in school. I think you said school or felt like you stuck out like a sore thumb. Not only did I feel left out just emotionally, but I also felt like just because I looked different than everyone, Mm -hmm. I also felt like I stuck out. And I think that time um, Mm -hmm. where people were made fun of Asian people, that was very insensitive. Um, I think just because... I'm sitting right there, mm-hmm. and yes, I am different, but you also don't have to make fun of me for the way my eyes look mm-hmm. or the way I talk because I definitely don't talk like that. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah. It's, I think it's just very upsetting in general, mm-hmm. and I think that people need to be more aware of, you know, the things they say and how they can really affect people deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree with that. Definitely don't talk like that, by the way. So 
what was the big contributor to you kind of coming out with pos- any sort of positivity? Because you had mentioned positivity. Um, you had mentioned positivity before, and I want to know what led to you having that opportunity for more positivity through the harder times that you've gone through. Uh, well, my positive, I feel like I tried to be positive, mm-hmm. but I f- also think that in a way I was lying to myself. Mm-hmm. I was trying to bottle up all these emotions and put them away because I didn't know how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. And over time, it just kind of blew up in a way because mm-hmm. I never really um, dealt with them. I also think another part of the trying to stay positive was my mom because she's like my mini cheerleader. Um, and also having the Lord too. Mm-hmm. Um, they have been like, besides my dad, the like most Jew supportive people um, right now. And I think that it's important to know that your parents love you a lot and mm-hmm. that you should really value them and all they do for you. Yeah, of course. They do a lot for us. Yeah. Especially when it comes to foreign adoption. It's a long process. Yeah. So understandable. What do you think has been one of the biggest things that you've learned from being adopted? I think um, one of the biggest things I've learned has been the love my parents had to love a child that isn't their own and bring them into their house not knowing what they would come with Mm. what things they would have in the past but still welcoming them and loving them and providing for them just as if they were their biological parents and I think that's very important to me Hmm. in consideration with your story what do you think one of the hardest parts about being adopted has been for you? I think it's just being different and not looking like everyone else, mm. and the, especially in the area we live in. Um, and we want to, like, embrace the diversity, but also at the same time, there are people who say things that are hurtful. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's just difficult to feel included Feeling included is a big part of life. I think we all want to feel included. And looking different makes you feel like you can't be sometimes. Even now, I work in a school, and even the kids will say, I'm like, that's not, do you think, is that how I talk? And they're like, no. I'm like, well, I am from China, so you shouldn't do that. And they're like, you are? I'm like, Oh, oh my, my gosh. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so these so, children still do it. Um, but, you know, it's shocking their reaction. And I think it's shocking to adults' reactions at times, too, if you ask them simply, do I sound like that? And they, they, they don't know what to say <laughs> because they don't, they can't say yes. But then if they say no, they'll be questioned as to why they're doing it. Exactly. So it's always a really awkward conversation. Also uh, commenting on how you look or your eyes, how they, your eyes look or anything like that. It's, it's interesting because it's not something you can change. Nor is it something that I'd want to change. Or I'd, and I would definitely wouldn't want you to change either because you look beautiful. And as 
everybody does in their own way, and you are very pretty. Um, but your eyes specifically are come from genetics and come from a cultural background in which it defines partly defines who we are yes. to people. So I think they're beautiful because they help share our culture. But other people will make fun of them for the way that you look or they will do certain gestures or things to make them look that way or whatever the case may be to the point where it is hurtful at times because you think to yourself that if it's supposed to be a negative, it's not exactly something you can change. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I remember when I was younger, someone told me, um, I had just gone glasses because my eye vision is so bad. And they were oh. like, oh, well, you look better with glasses on than without because I never had glasses before until like second grade. Mm-hmm. And I think that really stuck with me because I thought, mm-hmm. wow, without my glasses, am I like that ugly where people oh you know, gosh, don't no. want to look at me? <laughs> and so oh. I feel like I carried that along. And one day my mom was like, you should get contacts. And so I Mm. It's hard to put in contact, so I'm not a fan of it, but I mm-hmm. did for a while. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I got accustomed to my Asian face and embracing it because Yay. I never did before. Just because from that one person and from what they said, it, like, changed my whole perspective. Aww. But now I know that, like, even though I wear glasses, I can still embrace my Asian face. But <laughs> <laughs> Your Asian face. I like, that's cute, though. <laughs> oh, no, I, I do really like I do really like you with the glasses. They're really cute. Um, I've never seen you without, so I don't really know. But I'm <laughs> sure both ways you look beautiful, so it's fine. But Thank you. You're welcome. It's, it's just really interesting that someone saying something so simple that seems so simple can be so hurtful and effective for so many years to come down the road. Yes. <laughs> I think that's key in the situation of like, what that we can be in at times, and that's anybody, of remembering the simple thing that you say can affect somebody for the rest of their life. So be very careful with what you say and and what you're doing because it can affect somebody for forever, essentially. Exactly. So <laughs> people don't think like that, though. <laughs> no, they just say things and then, you know, you, you are like, oh, wow, that was really hurtful. <laughs> but they don't realize it, which is also really hurtful as well yeah no so you just kind of bottle it up and keep it on the inside and then they never know and then you just kind of sit there and like wow that hurt you live with it and you live with it <laughs> yeah <laughs> shouldn't have to live with it but we live with yes. it <laughs> so i know i understand that it makes a lot of sense as to why that would be difficult um for you and your part of your adoption story the, the that that would be the hardest part we did mention before about going to visit China and um, going back and wanting to go to the orphanage and and visit where you're from. But have you been able to kind of dive into the cultural aspect of it, even living here? Sort of. I think when I was younger at school, we would do projects on countries. So I chose China or um, at an adoption group because they were really oh, focused on adoption. That's and cool. every November they'd bring in speakers, like this was a few years ago, that talked about adoption and different things and how to, hmm. you know, how to adopt or uh, challenges um, and things like that. Uh, but we did an international food night where people would um, bring in food from their child's countries or oh, things like cool. that. Um, so I feel like I do 
kind of embrace it in the United States. Mm -hmm. I do love Chinese food. (laughs) But um, I think that I'm so Americanized because I, like, grew up here. Because I came here when I was a baby that it doesn't, like, bother me as much. But I do want to go into, like, when they do in Philly the... um, the Chinese Lantern Festival they have. Oh, yes. And they have a bunch of different Chinese events, which I yes. think is special for, you know, anyone who wants mm-hmm. to go there. So, yes. Oh, I definitely encourage you to do that. Those are really cool events um, that occur. And have you ever visited Chinatown? I did. I love the arch, like seeing the arch. <laughs> but I, I walked around there on a missions trip with people, but it was like a missions trip. So you just like oh, walked so around. Oh, you didn't really go into anything. Yeah, or, like, you know, try people. like Chinese candy or, you know, yeah. like, have fun with, have fun eating food. But mm-hmm. um, I would like just, you know, walk around there when it's safe. It's an important part and piece to realize if that's something that you want or if it's something that you don't want. And excited to hear that that's something that you want to do. So, um, that's really neat. I, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I never, I realize now I never asked you how old you were when you were adopted. You said you were a baby. Do you know how old you were though? Nine months. Oh, okay. I was, yeah, I was nine months. You talked about when you went, your family kind of, uh, went with a group. Did they go with the group or did they meet up with a the group there? Do you know? I think they met up in China okay. because I just think they were, I meant depending on where they live, some, you know, live um, far away. Mm-hmm. Um, some actually live near us still. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they went and they all got their babies together <laughs> and they traveled together, you know. And one time my mom was telling me they got stuck in a jewelry store and they had to buy something and buy something to leave the store in China. Uh, oh, yeah. Very strange. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, they went with a travel group, but they met up in China. Okay. I'm only curious about that because it seems like a pattern for people that are adopted from China as a baby. They meet up with a group there, and they all go together to get their baby. Like, it's, yeah. it's very interesting. It's a very interesting thought process. I've never connected that before until now. Every person I've talked to who is adopted from China says the same thing. Yes. They went with a group and they had their China sisters and it's never been a China brother. It's yes. always been China sisters. Yes, exactly. Um, because it's more common to have a, a um, Chinese daughter or to adopt a Chinese girl than you did to adopt a Chinese boy. Yes. Um, so I find it really interesting to talk about those things because then you were saying that you had like a nanny or someone that would take care of you yes. while you're at the orphanage. I had one too, so I have a oh, picture of her yeah. holding me. Same. But I find that really interesting. So, like, you're like, I guess, I don't want to say assigned, but like assigned to somebody that will take care of you. Um, so, that's that's really interesting that it's a very, that's very similar in the beginning of the stories of both of our stories. But yes. if you think about it overall, our stories are very different. Um, which I always find is really cool and neat how that works out. Has being adopted affected how you develop friendships or maintain them? 100%. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I think that I do have friends that I know are genuine and mm-hmm. 
you know, don't affect, like, my adoption. But I definitely think that, you know, those feelings of rejection when things do come up, mm-hmm. like, things in the past, and I feel rejected by them, mm-hmm. which kind of, like, brings it to the root of, like, you know, feeling rejected by my birth mom, even though I, I don't know, you know, she probably loved me and I just think good thoughts, but yeah, <laughs> I yeah. do think about that too. <laughs> yeah. I think I have trouble maintaining friendships sometimes mm-hmm. because I put a lot of work into them and sometimes I don't feel like they're putting in the work, like not to make mm-hmm. it weird like that. No, they're not reciprocating the effort that you're putting in. Exactly. And yeah. I get tired after a while. So I think sometimes maintaining a friendship can be hard for me because I've had experiences where I just like burn out because mm-hmm. I can't worry about if they're being genuine or not because I've been in those circumstances. Um, yeah. So I definitely think a lot of, you know, adoption does come into play with maintaining and like creating and trusting, you know, friends and things like that. Interesting. That makes a lot of sense. I definitely, I definitely understand and get that. That's something that I struggle with too. And I don't think it's, I don't know if it's their fault. I don't want to say it's their fault because I don't think it is. I think it's just a feeling of you do put a lot of effort into friendships. And it's a lot of work to to feel like it's one-sided. And then to feel like it's one-sided, it becomes really hurtful. And it almost becomes a feeling of rejection that comes to play. It likes to play with us. It comes to play (laughs) in Certain situations, and I think friendship is a is a really big one because those are the people that you want to trust the most. Yes. I think a lot of it is, like, being oblivious, which is unfortunate because mm-hmm. I was talking to my mom recently and thinking about how I wouldn't want to be known as someone who treated people poorly and didn't show kindness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would never want to be that type of friend. So I think oblivious can play into that kind of like, as you said, mm-hmm. it can play into it because being oblivious to the things that you do that I mean can really cause and make a huge impact on people mm-hmm. that stays with them. And I've experienced that a lot mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I understand that. That makes a lot of sense. I get it. (laughs) Have you ever been able to use your poetry and your writing skills that you got from your dad and was a blessing from him to kind of go through those kind of emotions and feelings? Yes. I have different poems for, I think, each season, like, situation, meaning Mm -hmm. that I go through. So if something happens, I'll write it down. Yeah. And then if something comes up for me, like an emotion, I'll write it down. But I usually do poetry form. Mm. And I was trying to work on a poetry book because I, in a way, just wanted to be open and, like, vulnerable with people because I've been told by other people to be honest, Mm. which is hard because I want to learn to do that by myself without anyone telling me to, like, be open. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So I think... Um, I incorporate a lot of, like, different things in my poetry and write about things I'm struggling with. But, I mean, ultimately, mm. in the end, I try to, like, put a positive spin on it <laughs> and say, like, that the Lord's going to do great, beautiful things. But um, I almost am afraid to put the poetry book out because I don't – I'm not sure how 
I don't know how I feel about all those vulnerable emotions. Yeah. But I know people are also, you know, struggling with depression, anxiety, like suicidal thoughts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And don't feel comfortable talking about with people. Yeah. So maybe in a way it'll help. But I'm just, you know, trying to write down as many as I can for right now. Yeah. Oh, no, that's that's really cool. And, and whenever you're ready to share, if you ever are, it's that's your time. And if you're not ever ready, that's also okay. It's for you, and right now that's your way of, one of your ways of processing things and being able to kind of put your emotions on a tangible thing. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, which is, is really important, and it's really important for, you know, mental health. And, and a lot of people with, I don't want to say a lot of people, it's a good thing with mental health because a lot of people do have mental health issues, I guess you want to call them. Um, that they go through and they you know, don't like to talk or share because it is a difficult subject and a difficult talking point to share with other people. It is. It's almost like to someone else, like I could be like, eh, whatever. But to mm-hmm. me, it's like a real thing that I live with every day. Mm-hmm. And same with depression. People are like, oh, um, you know, happy all the time, whatever. Like, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> There are people like me who also struggle with, you know, things like really deep stuff that they've gone through and like mm-hmm. grief. People try to put a timestamp on it and healing. Like mm. you have to have a certain time to heal or people think that you've gre- like three years is enough to grieve. But honestly, it's whatever oh. you know is right. And you know when you're starting to heal and like that type of thing, like losing someone you'll never like fully heal from, but no. the Lord can definitely help like mend your broken heart and put it back together. Mm-hmm. And I think mental health and grief and loss, they're hard to talk about, but mm-hmm. they need to be because there are so many people struggling with them. Absolutely. Like that you have no clue about. And you'll talk like two years later and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I struggled with that. And mm-hmm. you'll, you can relate to them, which is such yeah. an important thing mm-hmm. because sometimes being able to relate to someone can just – like, in a way, help them. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. And that makes a lot of sense. The idea of being able to relate to somebody is huge for someone who is in that situation of grieving or depression or anxiety, and which I have all of those things. And it's not exactly something that you share with people either because it in your depression – you don't want to talk to people. Yes, you want to isolate. <laughs> you isolate yourself, and people let you do it because they think, "Oh, that's just you know, that's how she is. Like she's she's she does that sometimes." Not connecting it to being depressed. It's it's more connecting. Oh, that's how she is. That's just how they are. I'm like, oh okay. I'm like, let me be in my bubble <laughs> and in my depression and just kind of sit here and and do nothing and not share with anybody, but. That's not the healthy way and the healthy route of going it, but it's the way that typically people will do it. And then, you know, when you were talking about the idea of people telling you, oh, well, you should be done, that that's done with. Like that was that was like four years ago or whatever, how many years. You, you shouldn't be doing that anymore. That was two and a half years ago. That was whatever. And they do put a time stamp on it. I like how you called it out as a time stamp because that isn't necessarily something that should be time stamped ever. Because when it comes to grieving, that's a process that I don't think anyone ever fully gets over. Because a loss is a loss. And and however long it takes for you to grieve that loss, people shouldn't judge you for it. 
because everybody has a different way of processing. And even if it's been 10 to 15 years, you still miss that person and you still remember them being here and you remember who they were. So you'll still grieve them when you think about them, even when you're just thinking about them, even when it does become X amount of years in the future. So I, I like how you said that because a timestamp on something like that is not possible because yeah. everybody's different. Yeah. And when um, he did pass, there were a lot of people there. And mm-hmm. then it just went back to normal. But think about it, it never be normal for our family because we went yeah. through something so hard, like, together. Mm-hmm. And I experienced a lot of things that I'm not – life isn't going back to normal. It might go back yeah. to a certain type of normal, but yeah. it won't go back to the way it was because it will never be that way again. Yeah. No, it won't. And that's – that's really something to think about and for people to think about as well. I mean, even saying it here, you know, people, maybe some people will think about it a little bit more <laughs> when they talk to somebody. Yeah, and, and not like normalizing, I guess, the grief and mm-hmm. um, like it's okay to feel your emotions and cry about things yeah. <laughs> because I think – trying to forget about it or push it aside like I did for like a, a year or two yeah. isn't very helpful because then I'm still dealing with all these like you know emotions mm-hmm. so I think really talking about it to someone or just um yeah discussing it could be helpful yeah even though it's sure. hard it's like a healing process in itself yeah it definitely is and you were talking before as well about the idea when people tell you you should be more like this. You should be more vulnerable. You should be more sensitive. You should be more empathetic. You should be this. It's like, I totally agree with you with what you were saying before. When someone tells you you have to be that way, you feel like, def- I get defensive. I don't know if you get defensive, but I get defensive because I feel like, well, I should have known that myself and now I'm mad because I didn't or whatever the case may be. But it's interesting when people tell you who you should be. And who you should become. Yes. Like, I almost <laughs> feel defined more by it because mm-hmm. if, if it's by an adult, which did it happen? And it's, like, okay, if they see something in me, mm-hmm. then maybe I should try to do it. Yeah. And then almost <laughs> when I did it, like, became more vulnerable, it kind of, like, backfired on me in a way. Uh-huh. And hurt me even more so if I had just stayed the way I was and who I was Mm. it wouldn't have hurt me so much yeah but like going through all these experiences I've learned to be more vulnerable but also not like spill out everything either because (laughs) there are also people who cannot you know handle grief and you know depression Mm -hmm. anxiety so talking and knowing who the right people are to talk about those things to is important and not just spill to this person who has no clue what you're talking about. I think <laughs> yeah. it's important. Yeah, no, it definitely is because if you're not talking to the right person, things can go very south very quickly. <laughs> yes. Um, I've had situations where it's been crickets, like mm-hmm. oh, um, oh. awkwardness. People are like, oh, so it's you. It's hard to relate people to relate to things if mm-hmm. they haven't gone through what you have. Yeah. So I had to hide like a lot of that inside and it ate me up after a while so just realizing Mm. who I can be honest with and show these things and who I cannot really but Mm. can talk to it's like a good separation (laughs) yeah it's tough to make that call though and draw that line because there's some people you want to share things with but then you know "Mm, they 
you may not understand what I'm doing. You may not take it too well yeah. and think I'm crazy. <laughs> maybe not them, but maybe them, but not them. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems silly to think like that, but it, you're protecting yourself, essentially. Yeah, it's like a imaginary wall, basically. <laughs> Over the yeah. years, it's built up, mm. and it's like... Trusting is like who do I can who can I trust who yeah. I, who is genuine because like for some reason like in this world it's hard to trust people and know mm-hmm. if they're actually genuine or not like in relationships or friendships uh, like if they want to be your friend if mm-hmm. they're trying to get things from you mm-hmm. or if they're friend your friends and you're not anymore and they're still trying to get things from you mm-hmm. like knowing when it's time to mm-hmm. kind of let go of them mm-hmm. which I also struggle with but ho- yeah, hopefully will in the future <laughs> no yeah no I definitely get that that's it's difficult to I guess for lack of a better term move on yes <laughs> from pe- certain people um even though we know in life that there are stages and of life in which friends come and go. But it's easier said than done. Like, there's a bunch of, you know, inspirational quotes and <laughs> posters and whatever. And you can look at them and read them all day, but it doesn't make it any easier. Yes, yeah. In, in terms of actually doing it. But, yeah, I know that I definitely understand what you're saying and how you feel. That's been my life. <laughs> So I understand. We we live the same life. Yeah. <laughs> Just different timing and different situations. Um, but similar I've had similar um similar situations in which I you know, you feel vulnerable and you're very vulnerable with a specific person and then you're like a mistake <laughs> yeah you regret it almost because the response is not what you're expecting it was almost yeah. worse than what you thought it would be yeah which is even harder because you're expecting them to be you know sympathetic or empathetic and show like their emotions but it's totally not and that makes it even more awkward because then you can't relate <laughs> to things anymore because you're no. like if she can't relate to this and i can't relate to her then but how does this work <laughs> yeah because you don't want to like I've had those, like, uh, friendships where it's just surface level. Yes. And yeah. that's great. Like, mm-hmm. fun friendships. But I also want, like, deep conversations. Like, yeah. I can talk. I know I can trust someone and talk to them, like, about things. And they know I will do the same for them yeah. in that way. And that's that's key to relationships and any relationship. That's not even just friendships. You know, we family relationships, mm-hmm. future I guess, I don't know, romantic relationships. I don't know how I want to label it, like relationships, whatever. They're relationships. A relationship's a relationship. And the key to any relationship is trust. And without trust, you don't have that vulnerability or that empathy because it doesn't really come naturally then, I think, in certain situations when you're talking to people. Yes. So I definitely agree with that, and it, it makes a lot of sense. And it it plays into part in all aspects of life and relationships with any person that you're around or near or talking to or associated with. With, yeah, because you were talking about surface level friendships or I don't want to say real friendships because that sounds bad, but like surface level versus in deep relationship, I should say. That's a better way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> the other sounds bad. <laughs> Don't use that one. (laughs) But I definitely understand what you mean. And friendships are very, I think friendships are important. But 
hard to get the real deal. With that, I want to thank you so much for coming on, Emma, and being so vulnerable and being willing to share your story. Really appreciate it. I'm really excited for your episode to come out. And yeah, well, I thank you so much for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on this. And I think it's so brave of you to put out something like this to the world. So I really appreciate you and Aww. your work. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thanks. Appreciate you too. So can't do it without you guys being willing to come on and be vulnerable. So I'm so excited to share all the voices of adoptees and get it out there for people to listen to. So thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> thanks for tuning in. We'll be back again in two weeks with another story to share.